0: Welcome to the Industry Pulse with Pwn, a video game slash esports industry interview series. This week, I'm proud to bring you Doha of StarCraft and League fame. You may notice that the audio quality for some of my guests goes in and out, and that's due to the market connection on Discord. Keep in mind that I'm interviewing people from around the world and across the United States, and that Discord doesn't always have the best connection. So if something goes in and out, or it's crackling, or the audio doesn't sound right, that's why just want to let everybody know that I'm doing my best to keep the audio quality as pristine and crisp as possible, and I hope you guys enjoy what I'm able to bring you. So please sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to my interview series. Uh, this episode intro is going to be odd because I am changing the name of the podcast, and I'm trying kind to of off with the air about two names, but that's not here or there. You're not here to listen to me talk about the name of the podcast. All you care about is my guest, and I have an awesome guest today. Doa's with me, Eric Longquist. How you doing?
1: Hi, I'm just curious about what the name of the podcast is now.
0: Okay, so the podcast has been interviews with Pone, but that doesn't really make okay. sense. You know, like whatever. Ah, oh, cool. Well, Pwn's no. doing interviews. Yes and uh, no. Uh, it's very
1: explanatory.
0: Yeah, but I wanted something that was kind of like that would be better for iTunes, right? And sure. So I kind of I'm leaning toward the uh, the Pulse with Pone, a video game industry interview podcast or something like that. The Pulse, <laughs> just being a I don't know the the, the industry Pulse, right? Right.
1: Oh, okay. Very, uh, very with it. Very, um, you know, very eye, eye grabbing in an ear fashion.
0: I just need yeah. something. I just need something that makes a good iTunes image, so people scroll through, and go, "Oh, I like that image." Let me click it. You know. Yeah. So, anyway, speaking of eye popping and eye grabbing, we've seen Doa on many a shoutcast. Uh, we've seen his face all over Twitch and and other streaming platforms. Uh, he's joining me tonight after the Monte Cristo interview last week to talk about his journey through esports and becoming a shoutcaster um, and I know his story is pretty much different than Monty's because uh, not to jump way far ahead but you were in Korea when Monty joined right like
1: you had already been yeah I was already there. there right so uh I I was actually the one to make the decision to bring Monty to South Korea I was uh, uh I was given a choice of a few different analysts in League of Legends um I Told OGN that I needed an analyst. I didn't know enough about the game to to be confident to do that myself. I wanted to do play by play, but I needed a you know we needed an expert, and so I was given a, a couple other choices. Um, I won't talk about who those other choices were, but uh, one of them was Monty, and he was described to me uh, as someone who was uh, mature but kind of mean. And uh, and I was like, yeah, let's uh you know, I, I'd love to work with uh, someone a little bit more mature, you know, and he's sure. And uh so that sounded good to me. I looked at some of the stuff he was doing with MLG at the time and it all looked great. And uh yeah, then the the rest is history. So yeah. Well let before we get into that history, and not necessarily your
0: partnership with Monty, I wanna hear about you. Because I wanna hear about oh. like, let's jump in the way, way back machine and talk about where you <laughs> first started. Uh, you know, getting into this whole shoutcasting esports I want to work in the video game industry scene
1: yeah well so basically it all began in the year 2010 um I had uh, I saw that if I went to big game spot uh and got the Starcraft 2 pre-order I would get a beta key which I had been trying to get for a while but had not yet gotten and so I went down to game spot at my local mall in Mankato Minnesota um I got the the beta key I texted my friend on the way home. I'm like, "Hey, man, go pre-order SC2, get the beta key, let's play." And uh, started playing, and because um, I played a lot of SC1 with my friends, I really loved it. Never knew there was any sort of competitive gaming environment. Um, you know, just didn't come across it, honestly. We all just played together, and, and that's what it amounted to, right? In college, so uh, one day I was like, "I need to get better at Terran." So I, I googled. Terran build orders and the first result was um, Team Liquid actually mm-hmm. and so I looked at the thread and I looked at the site and then I found out about this big wide wonderful world of esports and and uh, that got me into it I wanted to try casting and and uh, so I bought a mic and give it a shot
0: so I want to talk about this Terran build order because uh, <laughs> I tried to to play StarCraft and I never had the APM. Sure. I one to keep up with it but two to remember the to you know, multitude of build orders and whatnot at any point in time during this, did you kind of think I want to become pro or was it kind of like, Oh man, I really like watching this game. So I think I want to talk about it.
1: I mean, I've, I've always been a competitive gamer in that. Like I always just wanted to be like the very best player at whatever game I played. Um, and I think at that point in my life, I had a full-time job. Like I knew I was never going to be like a pro per se, but that didn't mean I still, I didn't want to like own people on the ladder. Right. So, um, that was the the goal right is I wanted to just get better and move up the ranks and, and just be better And so that's why I that's why I did it and then um, You know, I think with Starcraft 2 It's one of those games that really lends itself to being played a lot as a caster there There's some games that you should play a lot if you're a caster. There's other games that You don't really need to play. It's better to watch them uh, I think Starcraft 2 is is a good game to play a lot if you're a caster because you need to, even if you're play-by-play, and, and I, I would have considered myself an analyst for SC2, um, a little bit of both, but I, I definitely did try to do the analyst side of things a lot of times. But uh, for SC2, like you, you really need to play it. You need to learn the pros' build orders and, and try to do them yourself because you need to understand when you're casting a game of StarCraft 2, if somebody misses their gas by two seconds, uh, that has a major effect on the rest of their build, on their timings, and you need to be able to talk about that, right? So... Um, so when I was a caster for StarCraft II, I still played a lot. I lived in the GOM house, and I sat next to Moro uh, from Sweden, who some of you may remember as a, a, one of the one of the best players outside of Korea for a while. And um, I just basically said, what's your schedule for practice? And I just did the same thing. I was playing like 35, 40 games of SC2 a day in the GOM house and practicing with all those guys, uh, playing a lot of 1v1s. Uh, getting wrecked, but uh, having a great time and and uh, getting better. Uh, I, I took a couple games. I took a couple cheesy games off some 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 pros, but that's that's all. This guy <laughs>
0: this guy over saying he's playing Terran. He's really ten pooling, right?
1: Yeah, so I beat uh, I beat Lita, uh, the famous Korean uh, Terran player. I beat him in uh, his first game of SC two ever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I cloaked I clo- Banshee him <laughs> and I was like, yes, I beat Lita. And you know that never happened again. I think the, the next game he had already like figured out the game enough to beat me, who had been playing for like well over a year at that point. So, but yeah. but, I, but for one time, one time I beat a Korean StarCraft One pro gamer. Dude, we all
0: we all have our claim to fame. I'm sure yeah, at some point in league I've beat somebody in a lane, and I I don't know it's been years, but you know same thing, right? Like I I did it. Yeah. I beat the
1: guy. It feels good. I killed Seagull once with Bastion in the Overwatch beta, so I've got that going for me. <laughs> <laughs> just you know. get, we're just gonna keep a laundry list, uh, yeah. you know,
0: of all the people oh, that you've, you've bested, dude. Obviously, it's a, I, I can hear you pull it out of your wallet,
1: like you know, like this I've never, perfect. I don't, I've never played with anyone like really. I've never played against anyone. I don't think really accomplished in League of Legends, though.
0: Uh, I did back in the day. I think I played like Saint Saint Vicious and all those because that. But that was way wow. back. That was kind of like the whole what, like, 2011, right? When the early days, really sure. early days, and yeah, season two era, yeah,
1: season I, one I, era. It was 2011, actually.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was the end of it was season. Uh, then it was like it was the season two. It was like right. I st- I started the the very end of season one, not even oh, okay. not even knowing it. But that you know, um,
1: I started at the very end of 2012, which was right around season two of worlds when I started really learning the game for casting
0: yeah and you know we're talking about league because you spend a lot of time you know shout casting league but i do feel that league is another one of those that it does lend yourself well to play it
1: would you agree yes and no um i think league is better to watch than play for a caster mm-hmm. uh, i think it's still important to play any game obviously that you cast like that's that should be given i think the benefit from playing league for the play-by-play side is is simply training your eye to better identify spell effects and, and identify small things happening in the big you know uh, amalgam of uh, effects going on in a team fight and uh, same thing goes for Overwatch too where like playing it more will help your eye kind of be able to discern things a little bit easier. But as far as strategy goes and like really understanding the game, um, watching is so much better than playing for League of Legends uh, because none of none of what unless you play for a pro team, none of your games, even in Challenger, solo queue are really going to have much to do with the professional scene. Right. So, yeah. So I, I actually think, I think there's importance in playing every game, but I think league is definitely more of a watch game than a play game for most casters.
0: I can understand that. I had a lot of fun. Um, When I was analyzing league, playing it in the 5v5, you know, playing those in the competitive leagues, of course, it was never challenger level. It was more like the diamond level at the time. But, you know, it does lead to uh, have a better understanding or better appreciation for what the pros are actually doing when you're trying to pull the same strategies off.
1: I, yeah, I, for sure.
0: I, I can specifically remember the poke meta. I think it was like the Nidalee was, you know, large at that time, right?
1: And, yeah, like you had Nami, Caitlyn, bot lanes and stuff
0: and, Yeah, exactly. You had Nami Caitlyn, yeah. you had Nidalee, all you did was poke and then, you know, the games went 50 minutes and but you had to you had by playing it, you could try to play it, but you never understood exactly how to play it even by watching the pros. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I and I always yeah. had a lot of fun trying to dissect that and learn how to play it because I I feel that felt that always made me a better analyst personally. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. uh, So moving on from talking about League and analyzing League, uh, you keep bringing up GOM TV. Can you explain a little more about what that is or what it
1: was, I suppose? So GOM TV uh, actually means bear TV. In Korean, GOM is bear, um, which also relates to the Korean name of the marauder unit in SC2, which is BOOGOM, which means fire bear, which I just love. That's that's great. But GOM TV was this uh, online broadcaster that uh, did... A couple different games but sc2 is their main one they had a studio in mokdong south korea uh in inside of a high school so you walk past like high schoolers playing basketball when you're going into the studio to uh to cast sc2 and uh that was at the time too when there was that kind of uh the thing going on between blizzard and the korean broadcasters over starcraft one rights so i think that was—I suspect—that was, I, I suspect that was uh, one of the reasons that GomTV got the SC2 exclusive uh, license to broadcast at the time, is that they were kind of playing ball with Blizzard, and some of the other broadcasters uh, were not. That's uh, that's my my guess anyway. All I know is that um, we would go to StarCraft One matches at like the NBC Game Studio or at OGN, and because we were like white dudes, uh, you know, me and and uh, a Torch, um, if you remember Torch, like from mm-hmm. way way back in SC2. Uh, On trap uh, as well like we go there and uh they would always put the camera on us because because we're uh, a bunch of foreigners right and then uh then the korean uh esports websites would be like gom tv casters seen at mbc studio and then we get yelled at by gom tv (laughs) (laughs) because apparently they they said that i don't know if this is true but they said that blizzard was upset with us being seen there because of the ongoing litigation or whatever (laughs) between Blizzard and the Create Broadcasters. So we would still go, but we had to, like, hide, you know, like, in the back or, like, wear hoodies and, and go incognito, you know?
0: Wow, that's really interesting. It's not something you would... You, I don't think you ever hear that, right? Like, it it, yeah, it was, like a, a StarCraft caster. No, it, this isn't meant to be offensive. Like, StarCraft caster would be that level,
1: right? Where, yeah, where well, they had to hide. I mean, that was, you know, that was a, a unique case. And it was a situation where SC2 is... Or StarCraft and StarCraft 2 were, like, the only games in town, really, at that point that was before league of legends uh you know ogn wasn't doing champions yet that was sure. 2011 so uh, starcraft was it you know so that was the biggest c sport in korea uh, there was no contesting that and everybody knew that that stuff was going on between blizzard and the broadcasters there and so that uh, ended up being a, a bigger deal than than i think it needed to be but we all just kind of laughed about it and and you know i mean if you're into starcraft 1 why why would you not go and watch the msl and the osl in person like come on
0: yeah, exactly. It would be
1: crazy not to go there, you know? Risk uh, risk getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I mean if that's yeah.
0: if that's the biggest thing of the time, why wouldn't you be there watching it? You know? You, yeah, your, well I mean for me, like
1: I you know, like I said, I didn't really know much. I didn't know that StarCraft esports existed before SC two, but once I found out about it, I was like, wait a second, there's people that have played this game I've loved since I was in high school, like professionally. I need to go see this, you know, I need to see the best players in the world. So sure. So that was great. I became a fan of uh, fantasy and uh, effort, uh, and uh, then uh, Moltrap was a big Stork fan. Uh, we were at the NBC Game Studio once Moltrap's first uh, StarCraft one broadcast in Korea, and at the end of those broadcasts, the players would sign a shirt and give it out to a fan. And Moltrap was like the biggest Stork fan ever. At, at the end, like when Stork was signing, he just yells in his Moltrap voice. He's like, "I love you, Stork." And like the whole crowd just turns and like, what in the, what was that? And then Stork like walked over and gave him the shirt. It was, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen.
0: That's very cool. That's really cool.
1: It was awesome. a beautiful moment. Yeah. Uh,
0: so in order to get, um, to further yourself in the shoutcasting career, you've had to, you had to have started somewhere betwi- besides GOM TV and whatnot. Uh, did you find yourself casting like local tournaments, you know, in, in, in Minnesota? Did you find yourself doing VODs, YouTube, et cetera?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, when I first started, my whole goal was to be like the first person on the internet to cast whatever newest replay from a big player came out, you know, and hit TL or like hit SC2 replays or something like that. Um, that was my whole goal. I was like, I want to do this. I want to be the best. And I am going to just F5 until the newest replay from, you know, like man of no name or man of like man of one way. That was Boxer's secret ID. Man of one way comes out and I'm like, I've got the new Boxer replay stuff on my YouTube before anyone else. And, uh, so even though obviously like Husky and HD would get more viewers, uh, by me being the first one to have it up there, I would still get viewers mm. and get feedback and get better and get noticed. Right. So I did a lot of that. And then that got me, I got about 3000 subs in my first month on YouTube. And, um, that got to, got me to the point where some of the, uh, online tournament organizers would ask me to cast their, their stuff. Um, the live matches and so i would do that uh, i wouldn't make any money doing it but i was doing live matches so it's cool you know and and um then the only live event i did before i went to korea was driving 9 hours down to south uh no down to st louis uh missouri to do a, an event from the lobby of a best western hotel with cats pajamas <laughs> and so we had players like destiny and triforce were there <laughs> excuse me um yeah but uh so it was, yeah. So I, I didn't really do any, any many, I should say, live events. Uh, there really wasn't anything to do, um, but I did a lot of online events uh, from my uh, from my little office uh, in my apartment in Minnesota.
0: Very cool. I was I, that's what I was trying to get to from here was going from Minnesota, Minnesota, excuse me, to Korea. Um, walk walk me through that because I think that's a really interesting. Uh, I'm I'm a Midwest born guy and just, oh, where uh, at? I'm from, uh, Michigan originally. Oh, okay, cool. And lived in Kentucky for 10 years. And so, all right, uh, you know, been been out and around, went to Louisiana now in Colorado. So I've been all around the United States, but to go from like Minnesota to Korea seems like a much larger jump than anything I've ever done. So I'm always curious about yeah. that story.
1: <laughs> it was, it was a bit of a jump. I mean, I had, I had left the in the past, I'd been to Italy uh, to study art for a, a short time, just a few weeks in college. Um, that was the only time I'd been out of the U.S. Before that, uh, I'd certainly never been to Asia. Um, you know, Italy is a much closer place to go to than Korea, and uh, so yeah, it was it was it was interesting. I mean, it was one of those things where it's like when I got, uh, I couldn't say no because. You know if i would have said no i would have been spending the rest of my life wondering what would have happened if i would have said yes right so i kind of just thought to myself well there's always another normal job like i, I can always get another normal job so who cares and uh let's just do this and the funny thing is is um my boss at the time my, well my boss's boss at verizon wireless at this call center that i worked at um, which i kind of enjoyed I, I enjoyed tech support actually but um My boss's boss watched the GSL as well. So my immediate boss was like, you're crazy, don't do this. You're ruining your career and your life, et cetera, et cetera. And, but her boss was like, no, no, this is awesome. And he should try it. And he told me like, hey, if this doesn't work out, just come back, I'll I'll give you your job back and all that. So I I felt like I had a little bit of a safety net. I don't know if that would have been something that could have happened or not, but it was nice to, to hear that and have someone supporting me at least, you know.
0: That's, but, uh, that's all yeah. I would need, though, like just somebody to tell me, hey, if it doesn't work out in six months, come back and talk to us. I mean,
1: I was going to do it regardless because <laughs> like <laughs> I had, you know, I I went through like a couple years after college, I, a job one month, no job the next month. And, and just, you know, I had been destitute, like I had been like on the rocks, you know, and, and uh, so I, I knew what that was like. And so that didn't scare me. You know, the prospect of being totally broke didn't scare me because... I was there, and I got out of it once already, um, and so I knew I could do it again, and I knew this was worth the risk, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I didn't really feel any pressure to succeed. I was kind of just like, let's go and do the best you can, and, and, and uh, you know, I wanted to make it work. Like, the pressure came from, like, wanting to make it a career, but if it didn't work out, I wasn't, like, scared of those consequences. Sure. That's probably the best
0: attitude you could have had going overseas, is let's yeah. just see what happens.
1: Right. Exactly. And it was so much fun. Like Korea is an amazing country and it's, everyone's so nice and the food is so good. And, and, uh, it's such a, it's such a comfortable place to live. Like I, I've, I've never been more comfortable living in a place than when I lived in Seoul. Like it's, you know, it's, I feel like I fit in so well there and then I just love living there. And, and, uh, it's been tough, you know, not being there for a few years now. Um, almost sure. three years since I, since I lived there. Are you currently and, uh, living in LA? Yeah, I'm in LA right now. Yeah. Okay. Wow, yeah, that's so, gotta be pretty different. Go from Seoul to LA. LA is nice, uh, but it's no Seoul, that's for sure. But uh, this is where the opportunity is. So, you know, one thing: if you're going to be in esports, you kind of have to go where the opportunities are, and that's and, and not complain about it. <laughs> exactly, this is it. Yeah. Um, for before we move into more about Seoul, because I kind of want
0: I want to learn more about how you got set up there, and to kind of give people an idea what it would be like to move to a country uninhibited right mm-hmm. um, but uh, it, to take a step back from there you know I know that when you got in esports and it was like 2011 12 you know et cetera, it was pretty young in that time so for anybody now that we're in 2020 esports is really established do you still think there is uh, an opportunity for up and coming shoutcasters to really make it out there and if so do you have any kind of words of wisdom for anybody who really wants to break it in here and
1: kind of go along the same path you did I think uh, it's at the same time easier and more difficult for new casters to come up. Uh, I think it's easier because the barrier of entry to making your own broadcasts and getting your own stuff out there is lower in that if you want to stream, you'd get one program and that's it. Whereas when I started streaming, I needed five different programs to do it. Uh, you know, if if you want to... Uh, be involved in a a game like the resources from the technological standpoint are much more readily available Uh, i think it's harder to get into esports than it was when when i did uh as a commentator because a lot of the developers have kind of crushed their uh grassroots scenes by saying you know our big league is the only league in town or like we're going to support this tournament organizer and that's it no one else can do anything else so they've really kind of um Reduce the ability for uh, new commentators to come up, which you see sometimes where developers will be looking for commentators for a game and there just won't be anybody because they, they've kind of like uh, made it really difficult to to start your own thing and, and do that without getting shut down. So uh, I think, yeah, I think it's easier to get started, but it's harder to do legitimate things in it because of the developers for the most part.
0: I've heard I've heard that from other people. I mean, anyone
1: will tell you that like that's I'm not like unique in in having that opinion. Pretty much every caster that uh, is, you know, successful right now in esports says the same thing where it's like, yeah, it's nice to be successful, but we're going to need more people. And it's good to have new blood come up. Right. And it's 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 a bummer that it's tougher in that regard than it was before. But I think, you know, as far as advice goes, I would say that being the case, like don't let that discourage you. If you want to do it, just simply start doing it. You know, make your own content and put it out there. And if you do that, you're going to improve by continuing to make content and practice. And you're going to show that you can progress as a, a talent to people that might hire you. Um, and there's, I think, there is a lot of opportunity for like side content, for analytical content, for side entertaining content. You might not be able to like make a tournament. Uh, in some cases, but there's a lot of opportunity for side content that can be like channeled into casting and stuff. Um, also streaming gives you a lot of opportunities to get out there as a personality too. So uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, if, at the end of the day, if you want to do it, like just do it, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't hold yourself back. Right. But, uh, but yeah, work
0: hard. That's really <laughs> it. I, a lot of it. I just love the advice of just do it. Uh, I have long, Told people that if you have an idea, to just execute it. Don't ask people what they want; just make something, and people will tell you if they like it or not. Right? Right. Yeah. So, same thing. I think if if a new game comes out, uh, Spellbreak is probably the one of the you know newer games that's really coming up. If you decide you want to be a shoutcaster for that, just start analyzing the game and doing it. Right. It's that's a cool see.
1: game too. I uh, I haven't played it, but I've looked into it a little bit, um, and I love the way like all the elements interact with each other and stuff. It looks it looks really neat. I that's one of the games that I've downloaded. And I'm like, I will play this at some point. And I, I've just never gotten to it yet.
0: I, I just got a beta key for it today. Um, oh, okay. So I'm going to try to jump into it you know, later this evening and, and see what I like. But yeah, I, I, I saw that game and it looked like it would scratch my itch. Kind of like, I, I don't really want to play PUBG or Fortnite. And I don't really want to play The Division, but it looks like a good, you know, not to say that they're, like, it's good that they're exactly the same, but it's like that, well, there, that shooting type style. And that's what I want to go there for. There was
1: a BR called Realms Royale that I loved. It was my favorite BR by far, but they they made some pretty major changes to the game and I, I stopped liking it. But uh, this looks like it might kind of, like you said, scratch that same itch where it's, it's a BR, but it's more fantasy oriented. Like it's cooler to sling spells, I think, than just shoot guns. Um, but yeah, that's, it looks interesting. I need to actually try it eventually
0: well you and me both right that's <laughs> i just saw it yeah. I, i've just i know andy belford and i also know um iron stylus and
1: cool. so yeah
0: then um, i know they're both working on the game so it was oh, it i didn't a, know that i didn't
1: know that he was working on that yeah
0: they're yeah they're both uh yeah iron Stylus is, and they, uh, yeah they both are they're okay. both they're, i think uh andy is the community manager oh, okay cool um so neat yeah neat there you go you learned something um yeah Small well let's, world. <laughs> let's talk, I want to talk about your move to Korea a little bit. Sure. Um, to kind of give people an idea what it's like to move to a whole new country as a, <laughs> you know, as a foreigner, right? Uh, yeah. I think it's really something that we talk a lot about at work um, is that people forget like going into Canada, you're now a foreigner, right? And so it, it's not, right. this, it's totally different when you're going over to Korea and whatnot. So what's it like moving over there and how did you get set up finding places to live, et cetera?
1: Well, um, So initially, Gom TV was basically telling me that I was on my own. No, (laughs) uh, I I don't know anything about Korea, uh, and I don't have any money, so that's not going to happen. I know you've got this house where you let the pro gamers who are competing in GSL live. uh, How about letting newer casters uh, live there as well until we get kind of like our feet on the ground and we can like find a place? And so I talked them into letting me live in the Gom House. Um, So I thankfully I had a place to stay when I went out there. Um, but I guess one thing I did that I would really recommend everyone is, is, uh, I bought a book before I left. That was just like Korean phrases and and basic Korean language stuff. And, and so on the plane to Korea, I spent some of the time learning Korean, uh, and I, I didn't know anything about the country going into it aside from there was a war there at one point and they were good at Starcraft. Like that's, that's (laughs) the only, those are the only two things I knew about Korea. I mean, I, I came from rural Wisconsin, and Minnesota, right? But, um, you know, I, I met like two Korean people in my life and they were both adopted kids in my high school, you know? So I really knew nothing about the country going into it. And, uh, so I'm like, well, the language is the place you should start, you know? So when I got off the plane, I got off the plane, uh, with confidence knowing that at least I could say like, hello and thank you and stuff like that. And the very first thing I did uh, when the person from Goon TV met me at the airport, is I said hello to him in Korean, which uh, surprised him, um, and I thought that was re- that was really important for me that the first thing I said in this country that I plan on living in was something in like the language of that country. You know, that was like a really important thing for me to be able to do. Um, so uh, the language has always been something that I put a lot of effort into when I lived there, and I wish I was better. I, I should be better, but um, I am. I'm not fluent. I'm like intermediate. Like a little above conversational, I guess I can get around, but mm-hmm. um, but I think it is important if you're going to live in a place with a different language that you should learn the language. It just makes life so much easier, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. How how hard is it to get around? As uh, as a boy from Minnesota that knows no Korean. Oh, it was really easy. Honestly, it's it's every all the signs are in English and Korean. Uh, everybody is extremely friendly. The public transportation is cheap and extremely convenient. Uh, so it was, it was always really easy to, to get around Korea, uh, transport wise. Um, the only kind of complicated things I ever ran into was just like, uh, you know, one time I accidentally set off the door alarm on my apartment and I had to like Google different words in Korean, like while my alarm was going to try to figure out how to turn it off. And like, you know, some, like if I got like sick and had to go to the doctor the first time I had to do that, that was kind of intimidating. I had to like learn, different medical terms before i went to the doctor you know while feeling ill and stuff so uh you know it, so there's things like that but but overall i would say i've always tell people like if you're going to go to asia and you're not sure which country you want to visit first i would absolutely 100 recommend korea as the easiest place to start off with uh where it's just very very convenient for english speakers specifically uh, to get around excuse me um
0: okay that's Different than what I expected, but uh, reassuring, nonetheless. Really? Yeah, no, it's
1: I'm, I'm serious. It's so easy. I never I never had it. A... I think just being uh, an ignorant
0: American, you think it's a lot harder <laughs> to move around than it may be. But, uh, you know, we've it's, got... It's intimidating,
1: but as long as you're willing to put in some work with the language, it's really not that. Oh,
0: huh. all right then. Well, you know, good good to know that, because it's, it's been interesting talking... I love talking Korea in general, uh, because yeah. of how much the scenes differ. I interviewed um, Chobra last week. Oh and, okay. And he, you know, started telling me about the differences in the culture. Uh, one of them being how uh, he told me Koreans are very impatient. And so uh, his really, yeah, his he said his this the story that he told me um, that other people will eventually hear because I don't know when I'm going to release that episode. Sure. But anyway, <laughs> is that when he's at a restaurant in Korea, they sign the paper like the waitress will sign the paper for you because they're so impatient. So when he's really? try, when he's trying to sign I'm, the paper, never that happen. they take it from him.
1: I've never had that happen.
0: Yeah, that's that's his story. He's out there living there right now, so I'm just taking I mean, his word for it, right? So <laughs> the, the
1: thing it, it is, it does, uh, it does, uh, it is worth mentioning that he and I would have different experiences in Korea because he uh, he is Korean himself and I am not. Yeah, and they do definitely treat uh, me differently than they would treat him there. Uh, and I think as far as patience stuff goes, uh, they'll treat me with a lot more patience than they would him. You know. Uh, so I think maybe that's part of it too, is is that you know he's he's Korean and so they'll treat him like any other Korean where I'm a foreigner and uh, they they generally always treated me very nice and with a, a lot of patience and stuff, I think because there's not this there's not this expectation that I understand all the cultural stuff and I understand the language. and I always found uh, everybody I you know interacted with to be really you know really patient and, and forgiving so. Um, but I, I think that is different, you know? Oh, huh, very cool. I think we do have different experiences because of that.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like you guys would. I think, I, I think what I need to go do is go talk. I told Chobron a few months, I want to get back to him and actually have a podcast just about, you know, like Korea. Mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting to kind of compare notes after that and ask you, you know, where your experience is the same. So, uh, you yeah. may, you may hear from me later on down the lines. So don't yeah, be surprised. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So- I mean, I
1: think it's, I, I think it is, it is important to note that generally if you're a foreigner um you'll be treated more friendly maybe than like i had other friends who are korean-american and you know they they look korean but they couldn't maybe speak korean uh, as well and and i know some of them were treated kind of poorly actually because the attitude uh that they uh interpreted from their experiences were that like well you look like you're from here so why don't you speak our language you know what's wrong with you basically so Uh, I think I think that's that's part of it, too, where, like, I know other people did have different experiences because they were uh, Korean, but didn't speak Korean, you know, or didn't speak it well. Right. So. So I think I think uh, I I have a bit of privilege in that regard.
0: That's all right. It's uh, again, it's a different culture. And, you know, you're you're just kind of learning it as you go. And uh, it's good that you had a good experience. You can say, uh, yeah, uh, you can talk about it longingly.
1: Yeah, I want to go back and and like I, I always really made an effort. Maybe that's part of it too, is I always really made an effort to like understand and and uh assimilate, you know, into that culture to a certain extent, uh as well as far as like learning the traditions and and you know, having fun with that and and participating, um, with my wife's family especially, uh, you know, just really trying to, you know, do things the same way they do it, you know, to like sure. show that I care, but also just from an anth- anthropological anthropological am I using mean, that word I yeah, anthropology, anthropological sense. Uh, it's it's interesting to me to see how different cultures and peoples operate. So uh, I, I have a lot of fun from that perspective too. Well, speaking of fun,
0: I want to talk about your days in OGN with Monty. Now. Yes. <laughs>
1: uh, okay. Uh,
0: not that not that you weren't having fun casting StarCraft, uh, but I,
1: I do once. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, and we all do. You know, we all have fun casting the games. Um, but I think I, I would say that you're probably most known for your time with Monty. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys had a chemistry that we didn't see at that time uh, between casters, and you still don't, which is awesome. Um, you know, you guys came across as very much friends before just colleagues, and and I think that lent itself. Uh, I'm just you know I'm just stroking your ego now, but I thought that lent itself to a very sure. awesome cast and you know a lot of a lot of fun to watch. So let's just kind of talk about transitioning into League of Legends. Did that come naturally because League of Legends just blew up, or was it something you were like, hey, I want to get into?
1: Uh, I, I wanted to get into it uh, because I enjoyed playing it, uh, but also because it was blowing up. And I think uh, I decided pretty early on in my career, like even when I was just doing StarCraft Two, I was like, the v- video games uh, and the industry and the the video game uh, you know trends change very rapidly. So if I I decided early on if I wanted to really make this a career, I needed to be ready to change games. You know, and it wasn't that I loved the game I did any less. It's just how do I make this. Right from the beginning, it was I was like, "How do I make this a sustainable career instead of just something I do for a while until the game I love gets less popular and then I'm out of a job?" Right. So I wanted to make this a, a lifelong thing. So um, it, it was a bit of both of League of Legends because I, I I would never do a game that I like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just I guess there's a bit of luck there where like I like League of Legends and it and it got popular, you know. But, um, I, I, would say as far as like Monty's, my chemistry goes, I think if you look at Tastosis and Starcraft two, uh, they have that same thing going, you know, before we did where those guys are just like best friends and it really shows on, on the broadcast. So I, I'm just really thankful that I got to experience like that, uh, kind of partnership with, uh, with my cocaster, you know, that, that they got to enjoy too. So I suppose I should have, um, caveated that with like being the league side of
0: things, not so oh, sure in yeah, general, because yeah. uh, of course, um, I didn't, uh, unfortunately, my StarCraft knowledge is a bit lacking as I didn't get into it till oh. later on. I was watching it more of like when you guys were doing the OGN stuff, is when I started okay. getting into it. So I came in late, of course. Um,
1: so I think but... one of the reasons why we may not have seen that same kind of chemistry develop in some of the other regions for League of Legends is that uh, there was a trend later on when LCS started uh, that they would rotate casters a lot. Uh, and you didn't see the same duos uh, every time. And so there may have been synergies and uh, like chemistry there that just didn't get to develop because it wasn't uh, given the opportunity to, you know? Whereas Monty and I, like, it was just us uh, for a while until Chober came out and then Papa Smithy and, and Seth. But, um, you know, there was a while where it was it was only us, right? And even when those other guys did come out, we were still like the duo. And then we had a different duo. And so that style of things, um, I think it's way better in that it does give a chance for that chemistry to develop, which, which just makes a better product, you know, as far as the broadcast goes.
0: It always does. Anytime that you have some kind of chemistry with somebody, um, you know, it shows you you're able to yeah. just, if you're having well, fun, your audience why, is having fun.
1: I mean, there's a reason why in the NFL, you don't see people commentating with different pairs every week, right? You see the same pairs because you know, you're, that is part of the product too. So. Yeah, if you just rotate everybody around, you're never going to get that the best uh, product you could. Very good point.
0: It's not. I don't think. That, I don't honestly. I don't think I've heard too many people say. Um, you know, talk about the casting, uh, with NFL. Mm-hmm. Hey, to, I think to maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it's like just background noise at this point. You know, when you're watching a game, it's not so much the you know the. For, I think not you notice it a lot more, more when
1: you're in the bro- the sports broadcasting industry. You know, um, which I would consider like it's esports as traditional sports, but I would consider all of us sports broadcasters, right? So I think when – I watch football games differently now because I am listening to the commentators much more than I was when I was just a football fan, you know? Sure. Yep. Um,
0: so the, the, the League of Legends working with OGN, um, something that I learned from Chobro with going over there was that he was really surprised about the production, how the production worked uh, over there at OGN. Were you – expecting any sort of thing did you help watch it grow like was it shocking to walk into a studio and there not be very much uh, you know as i've been told
1: not really um i guess i didn't have any expectations going into it because what i was used to uh was gom tv in high school uh and before that it was you know my office in my apartment so I, I didn't have any exp- expectations because I had never really experienced really anything. The only thing I had really experienced broadcast-wise before that was I worked on a NCAA hockey broadcast for a number of years during college. And so we I ran a camera and I worked on graphics once in a while uh, for them for three years and uh, as a student. And it was an entirely student-run broadcast. We went out on charter to 1.5 million households every weekend. And hmm. so I had been part of a sports broadcast for years from setup to takedown every week, and we had to go into the hockey arena and do this. So I was like running cables for my camera and all this kind of stuff and, and helping set up all the all the decks and everything. And and so I had been part of a sports broadcast for a number of years before that. Uh, so I think when I stepped into OGN, and to a certain extent, GOM TV as well, it was easy to sort of slot into that system because even though the language was different, the flow was still the same, you know, where like, it was a sports broadcast, and even though it was video games, uh, it was still the same vibe. So, uh, and I, I guess like the as far as like not really getting production cues and our headsets and all that, like just having to react to whatever pops up on the screen. Again, like I had no expectations going into it, so none of that ever bothered me. You know, we just kind of learned to roll with it, and it kind of became it became honestly one of the like the fun parts of the show is making a joke out of it when it didn't go well, but like trying to <laughs> match up to the Korean broadcast, you know right it was i think it was one of the greatest assets that we had was this sort of like janky uh relationship between the english broadcast and the korean broadcast but That's, it was it was great everybody loved it and, and and we had a really good time trying to you know make fun of it right
0: yeah you have to make, the, make light of it make the best of it and it shows again yeah I, i've said it 100 already 100 times on here but it shows when you can have fun with something um I'm really also interested in there talking about some of your time over here, moving over to Blizzard and, you know, what prompted the change of coming
1: to L.A. and leaving Seoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was to the point where, you know, obviously there was a bit of friction, uh, Monty and Riot. And uh, to a certain extent, to a lesser extent, I guess, between me and Riot as well with some of the, the castor pay things and things like that. Um, and for me, it's, a, it's all kind of water under the, the bridge at this point. Um, but that was a part of it. I think another part of it was that we had kind of capped out as far as what we could do in esports in Korea. You know, we, we were casting the game and we were doing other events and we were very good at that. But we would never really, in that situation, we would never really be able to be involved uh, in it more than just as casters, Right. So I think that was part of it, too, where the Overwatch League presented a really cool opportunity to really be part of uh, shaping a broadcast from the beginning and doing more than just kind of showing up and casting. And that was uh, very enticing. I think both of us really loved the game and uh, believed in in what the game was doing. Um, I, think, I think the sort of message of Overwatch of being this sort of positive vision of the future where, you know, everyone wants to have like this post-apocalyptic you know rough uh, you know mean version of the future overwatch is like look there's still problems but you know we're gonna solve them together as a team uh, in this cool future environment and I think that's that's great and I think that's the message that you know video games need right now at a time where everyone's trying to demonize video games right mm-hmm. the government and things like that. so uh, so I really believed in the game and the message and the ability the the idea of helping shape uh, a really ambitious league like the overwatch League from the beginning. Uh, it was just way too cool of an opportunity to pass up. So that was the main reason right there is just getting a chance to, you know, do more, you know, than just kind of show up and cast.
0: I always liked the overwatch league's idea of like the home team kind of like modeling it after the NFL. And well,
1: just the city based teams. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's shown. I mean, we've seen it, it works very well. So it was a good idea.
0: Now I know you can't talk too much about what happened there. Um, uh, with leaving blizzard and whatnot but uh do do you do you feel there was still a lot left to be explored when it came to overwatch before that all kind of crumbled down um
1: i i would have liked to be part of it for longer um in a perfect world i would still be casting that this year but between um some things with the contract negotiations and just some some uh attitudes and and some disagreements i had with the management, you know, pretty, pretty much all the stuff I said in my statement. Um, right. It just made more sense to, to not be there full time. And I never wrote off, I've never written off the idea of going back and working, uh, with the Overwatch League again. And I would be excited to do that. Um, but just being there full time, uh, was really not something that was going to work anymore. And, uh, you know, again, like this 2020 is, is, my 10th year of esports casting. Uh, it's not a, I haven't finished 10 years, but I'm going into my 10th year. And so it seemed like a good time when I thought about it and factored in all the things with Overwatch League that uh, it was a, a good chance to um, sort of reevaluate my career too and, and just be part of a lot of different games broadcast this year, go back to some games I really loved in the past, like Hearthstone and League of Legends, and just kind of. Take some time to figure out what I wanted to do for the next ten years, you know. So it was. Uh, so I, I love the Overwatch League and I wish them nothing but the best. But uh, it was the right time to, to step away. Awesome. So the fe- what does the future hold for Doha? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, and and I know things like, but I don't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, I I would like to be part of a lot of different broadcasts uh, as more than just a caster, as, as you know, helping shape the creative direction. Uh, I want to be part of more new games as they come out because new games are always exciting. And I, there's nothing more that I love than figuring out a new game. Like set three for TFT just came out on the PBE yesterday and I spent like eight hours playing and it's just theory crafting with some other people that are, are really into the game. And, and it's just so much fun, you know? And so, uh, being a part of a game like that, uh, is, is just excellent. Right. So I want to do all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I would love to start to do more behind-the-scenes things as far as writing uh, for shows. Um, maybe move a little bit more into general gaming than just eSports. Because at the end of the day, like, I've just always loved video games throughout my whole life, right? And eSports has been a big part of that. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm, uh, I'm just a gamer, right? Mm-hmm. Competitive or otherwise. So doing a little bit more with that over the course of the year, maybe. So I mean, you've seen some of the things I've, I've done already this year for League a bunch of times, uh, Hearthstone. I did a TFT show with Frodan back in December for fandom, and hopefully we'll be doing more uh, TFT at some point in the future. And uh, then just a lot of other stuff. I've got I've got a lot of irons and a lot of fires right now. So it's kind of, <laughs> when you're fully freelance like this, it's kind of just like you, you spend a lot of time talking to people about cool ideas and you're just like, well, you know, which one of these, uh, you know, which which of these are going to work, which of these aren't going to work. And you try to kind of narrow it down. So, so I, I guess the future for 2020 just in, stuff is humanly possible and then uh by the end of the year maybe i'll have a better idea about a more of a firm direction career-wise i want to go or maybe i'll just want to keep doing this this has been fun so far i've had a great couple months honestly
0: i've seen there's been a number of people who have gone from like video game developer and whatnot to twitch streamer right and they just kind of took their following from there and have i know i know you stream on twitch i've, I've watched a couple a of bit. doing some uh, you were painting some i think 40k figures is that correct
1: uh yeah I do some 40k some Age of Sigmar some fantasy some yeah Warhammer has been uh, a huge thing for me in the last couple of years not career wise but just in terms of hobby wise I'm I'm addicted to it I've spent way too much time on that <laughs> since I moved back to the U S but I, I love it so much because it's a combination of strategic gaming and art and like I couldn't think of something more perfect to fit me you know I, I was, so uh, yeah
0: after the conversation we had prior to this show starting with you you know in in being artistic I. Yeah, you know, that, that 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 checks every box.
1: If there was a way I could just make a living casting Warhammer, uh, that would be that'd be awesome too. Because gaming isn't just video games; it's tabletop games as well. It's mm-hmm. cool to see tabletop gaming having such a big resurgence. So, if I can find a way to work that into to my plans for this year, I, you know, beyond just streaming painting, I definitely will. Just just work. Try to work some. You know, Wizards of the Coast. Get some.
0: You know, Magic the Gathering in there, and then move that. Hey, way. I just started
1: playing again. Actually, I got a standard deck uh, already. I'm gonna hit. Some Um. Yeah, Magic is. Uh, you know, if I could fill. And then card games, I would be very happy.
0: I'm just gonna stay away from that. I I did the Hearthstone (laughs) thing. I did Magic for a very long time, moved to Hearthstone, Uh, then realized I spent way too much money
1: on both. So I'm just done. (laughs) I'm just playing. I'm just playing red deck wins, man. Like I played played. I played mono red since like 1995. So I'm not gonna stop now. And and. Thankfully, that's a cheap archetype to get into. So right, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna keep playing mono red. That's that's my MTG life. I tried playing MTG Arena, and I got a
0: buddy who's really into it, and was explaining the meta decks and stuff. And I'm just like, I just I can't. I don't have the time to put in and learn another meta on top of everything I, else I'm playing.
1: I prefer playing it in person, you know, on the table than than online. I think just because I'm old fashioned that way. But like arena arena has been good. It's a much more aggressive meta on on arena. It seems like then uh in tabletop but uh I, I play mono red so it doesn't really matter <laughs> you're aggressive no matter what yeah that's right i'm just always aggro man like mono red just all the time he's just like it's tr- like some metas it's better some minutes it's worse but it's it's always there oh man lightning bolt you're going way back that's not that's not a standard card. i know it's not it's not we had no wizard's standard. lightning and dominaria but like uh that's that's as close as we've come for a long time it's
0: been it's been probably 15 years since i last played magic so you know it's shock lightning bolt
1: kindle uh, oh, shock's stuff. still around. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, shock. Well, it's, well, it's one, one
1: red for two damage. Well, right? shock so. is basically like, oh, this is what lightning bolt should have been. <laughs> yeah, not three <laughs> for one, for one mana. Not, not three damage for one mana. Yeah. Oh, there's
0: nothing wrong with that. Raging goblins. I, I remember that too. I, agree. I mean, like, come on. There's this all this good stuff. One, Mog one fanatic, for one. Man. Oh, dude, yeah. you're, you're talking my language. But
1: damage doesn't go on the stack anymore, so you can't like block and then sack the modified fanatic. Oh, see, the rules have
0: completely changed since I've last played? Yeah. Too, then.
1: <laughs> yep. So that the the old uh, the old red sly played. Just... Sadly. Yeah, that's that's upsetting. But yeah, It was a it, bit OP, but.
0: Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> There's a lot of those who are OP. Um, well, I think that's it. I really you've, you've tapped me out of questions here, which is good, and we've made it <laughs> to just about the hour. Uh, perfect. perfect. <laughs> People can find you on Twitter and Twitch, of course. Um,
1: Naves. Yeah. Uh, well, Twitch and Twitter are both GGDOA. Uh, and then on Instagram, because somebody took GGDOA and just isn't doing anything with the account, I can't get it back. So I don't know. If that's annoying. But on Instagram, I'm DOA Games. Uh, so definitely go check that out because uh, I, I post on Twitter a lot, but I really like Instagram. So that's what I want to try to grow right now. So if you follow anything, follow my Instagram. It's mostly Warhammer models right now, but we'll see. It may be other things at some
0: point. I'll go follow you on Instagram. Thank no. you. You're welcome. I I only post beer stuff on Instagram, so you know.
1: Hey, nothing wrong with that.
0: That's right. Uh, all right, accounts GGDOA DOA Games. I did actually. I don't even see you on there.
1: I'm looking D-O-A right now. DOA Games. It's oh there. wait,
0: it's not GGDOA DOA Games. It's D-O-A. no, no. It's just
1: DOA Games.
0: I, I would. The reason I wrote GG is because in my head I was like, oh, you should do it. GGDOA DOA Games because everything else is GGDOA. DOA. True,
1: but it it's just too late sense. for that now.
0: <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Doa, for joining me this evening and talking to me. My pleasure. It's, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, guys, you can, check the, you can check Doa out. He just told you where to go find him. Go follow him on Instagram. Help him grow his uh, following. Check him out on Twitch. He'll be out there casting lots of lots of stuff. He, of course, he'll put that up on Twitter for you. Uh, you guys can find more podcasts. I've got Monte Cristo, Chobra. I've got some other video game developers and whatnot. TrinityForceNetwork.com. And we'll see you all, guys, next week without an interview. See you. Thanks for listening to my new interview series brought to you by the Trinity Force Network. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash t network. If you have a question or a comment, you can drop me a line at Adam C at Force Podcast.com. For everything else, please check me out on trinityforcenetwork.com or subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy all the shows that the Trinity Force Network has to offer.